Hello and welcome to episode 41 of the Ambitious Filmmaker Podcast. I'm Caleb. I'm Mark. And I'm Eric. And we're three best friends from high school who've spent the last 10 years in the film industry and realized that freelancing can be a lonely business. So we built the Video Community, a place where filmmakers on all parts of their journey can come together and empower each other's growth and success. Today, we chat with colorist and filmmaker Jake Peterly. With Jake, we dive into how learning something new daily impacts your creativity, the hows and whys of time management, And we also explore authenticity over algorithm with social media and its impact on your career. So sit back, relax, and welcome to the Ambitious Filmmaker Podcast. I love the shirt, by the way. I know, I was going to say. Yeah, I'm no, the Dunder Mifflin uh, going on today. <laughs> I, had to, uh, I had to take the dog to the vet just a minute ago, and so this was the, the shirt of choice I had today. But it was a Christmas gift. Nice. It, obviously, The Office is like my all-time favorite show. So Nice. Yeah. Heck yeah. Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Ambitious Filmmaker Podcast. Today, we have colorist, editor, director of photography, Jake Peerly with us. Jake, it's good to have you. How's it going, guys? Thanks for having me. Super excited for this one. So what is the origin story of Jake Peerly? How did you get on this path of filmmaking? What made you into the man you are today? <laughs> it started with currently my roommate. He introduced me to Windows Movie Maker when I was about seven or eight years old. Nice. Uh, he revealed to me the, the wonderful art of stop motion, Lego animations, and, and what you could do with a computer then. So we started off making um, Lego stop motion animations, which was, I mean, it was atrocious, <laughs> awful, uh, but I still have those videos on my drive somewhere. And uh, and then shortly after, we discovered a few YouTube creators, so that was when YouTube was starting, uh, and we tried kind of replicating what they were doing and burning those those videos onto CDs and showing our family, and then creating <laughs> like Call of Duty videos, just because we were some some nerds back in elementary school. And just just having fun, just creating what we wanted to create. So when I turned 16 in high school, I got my first car. But part of that was that I had to help pay for things. So in order to do so, I figured, well, okay, I know there's a lot of businesses around here. Um, I think I can create better commercials than a lot of what them are putting out at the moment. So I found a way to, to reach out and connect. And as a 16-year-old, somehow urge companies to give me money to make them a video that would hopefully make them more money. Um, so obviously, you know, that kind of evolved into what it is today, where I just kept taking more and more steps, getting better and better and reinvesting all the income I had into building up kind of just this one man band. And it's, it's expanded into a billion different avenues. Um, but yeah, now I, <clears throat> I live in the, in the middle of nowhere, kind of just central Louisiana. You know, there's not a really big film scene here, but I wanted to branch out and get somewhat of a, my foot in the door with bigger companies, bigger production teams and bigger projects like passion projects that, that people really cared about more than just selling stickers and stuff. So that's how, that's why I, I kind of picked up my role as a colorist was color was always my favorite part of the video production process. And I figured out that I could do that remotely with teams across the world. So one of my first clients was a, a friend of mine in Australia and got to color a short film that he made. And it's, it's still one of my favorite projects I've done as a, as a freelance colorist. And, and now it's kind of just grown off into the different connections I've got. Met a lot of great people along the way. So that's kind of where we're at today. Awesome. We have, we have a lot of ground to cover. And you <laughs> yeah. know where I'm going to yeah. start? I'm going to start with Lego Studios. I have uh. not heard that. <laughs> in a long yeah. time and you know what that is where i got my start really fifth grade good buddy of mine back then drew williams you guys would know him, mark and eric oh, yeah. anyway we were making a video called attack of the nerds using all of his action figures <laughs> with lego studio i didn't and, know this yeah yeah and um you know, I didn't know then that, that was going to lead into a career in filmmaking, yeah. but I tell you what, there is something addictively fun about it. 
Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, just the fact that you can create something, you know, just an idea can kind of culminate into something you can visually watch and, and tell a story through. I think that was the most important thing was was storytelling. Yeah, absolutely. So Attack of the Nerds never made it to the movie theaters like we'd hoped. But, <laughs> um, but when, when you were 16 and you started to pitch local companies, what was the what was the first one that kind of gave you that, that in or was like, yeah, I'll give you a shot? There was a couple I reached out to. One was actually a realty company. I had a drone because the DJI, their flagship drone kind of came out. This was before the FAA had all the control and everything. But I was like, wait a second, this could be really good for aerials and stuff for realtors. So that was kind of the first thing I pitched. Um, and I did a couple of videos that were just showcasing houses. And then I ended up doing a short video that was awful for the actual company showing off their location, their facility and everything. Um, but yeah, that was one of the first times. And then my dad actually had a company um, where the guy he was working with was very business savvy. And he kind of wanted to bring me on and get me an LLC started, kind of helped me be a little bit more legitimate uh, when those businesses were interested in it. Yeah, I don't know if we've had anyone on here that started so early with that yeah. kind of business. It's usually like, you know, college right figuring no that was when it, it really it. took off for me was college because I, I think i got yeah. a little bit more of a fire under my butt and and started i guess that was when i branched off outside of my local community and started working remotely uh, i worked as a creative director for a couple artists and then did some remote okay. editing and you know stuff I've, I've done a lot that's part of what makes it so fun for me is not just doing the same thing every day and always knowing that you're never locked in you can always just branch off and you want to try something just go try it yeah for sure that's definitely one of the things I love and I'm sure mm -hmm. most filmmakers do like even like on the client level like different clients different yeah. I would say it's kind of cool like in our line of work you get VIP passes yeah. like <laughs> the back room of places mm -hmm. Mark and I last year were on the runway for like a, for at mm -hmm. an airport filming planes land it's amazing as a filmmaker what you can learn what you can see I mean it's a very attractive line of work yeah yeah, I mean, they'll, they'll turn down the owners of the, the actual airport because it violates their policy. But you hold up a media pass and like, oh, OK, go ahead. <laughs> so the coloring part, it sounds like based on where you're located, you kind of went into that almost like as a networking tool. Yeah, I mean, it was color was always, one, like I said, one of my favorite parts of it. And I think that was the biggest part was that locally, there's not a lot of big sets like I'm, I'm not in the, the LA it's not New York it's not Toronto or Vancouver but coincidentally I have a pretty big role in tons of productions that happen in those four major cities and that would not be possible without the internet and uh, I think a large part Instagram in itself I mean I've seen some people question if it's even useful as a colorist as, as an actual marketing tool and a business tool and I just laugh that that's even a question at this point like of course it is 85% of my work probably comes from just word of mouth through Instagram that's awesome I saw recently that you were worked on the the sam newton yeah uh, peter mckinnon video like, right. was that just strictly through the yeah no working I mean, on instagram or the, the first video i did with sam was one that he did that was then reposted by uh, beautiful destinations and okay. that one was called the perfect shot which was kind of just sort of the start of covid um, when everybody was kind of locked up and he wanted to make he had a story he wanted to tell mainly through a monologue but all the footage that he had captured uh, over the past several years just kind of aided in that and it was really impressive one to see somebody dig through all those archives and find footage that could aid in telling the story so well but also just the sheer footage itself was beautiful and so it was fun for me to be able to work on a project that had so much diversity and just it was a story that resonated with me as well because I've also I spent several years almost just doing photography that was interesting it was it was a fun project and that was the first time <clears throat> that I worked with Sam but yeah I just messaged him I was like hey I want to work with you on a project 
please feel free to send me something next time you, you have a project and you have the time frame or the, the time allows for it to be sent off for color. So I'm not going to charge them anything. It's totally free. Just want to want to help out and, and network. And that was the first one. And since then, we've probably done like four or five videos together. Heck yeah. That's so awesome. Mm-hmm. That We talk about that all the time with calling it spec work or... Uh, yeah. Free work uh, leads to paid work. Yeah. That's, that's really cool. So you're a colorist now, right? But you mentioned yeah. like you're in the middle of Louisiana. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So where did you originally learn a lot of the knowledge or a lot of the techniques was that all online was it in college oh, yeah. yeah all youtube I, okay so i guess i'll touch on that real quick just so anybody else that's out there and maybe wondering like you know i'm not in the best prime location yeah. there's not a film school around me do i need to go do i need to worry about that no um not in today's day and age i learned everything of course this is over years and years of time but everything i've learned has been online all strictly youtube studying different creators studying somewhat articles and master classes so yeah all of it has really just been remote learning a lot of it honestly can't even be taught in school maybe some film schools that are if you pay top dollar you're going to be able to to benefit from it that's where i learned no no local mentors or anything Yeah, for sure. I mean, like you touched on the building brand equity is what we call it. You call it like, oh, yeah. I won't charge you, but we call it building brand equity because right. because like as you're building reputation, you know, work with the people you want to work with by any means necessary. And if that means like coloring a project, we don't usually like to use the word free, but complimentary yeah. or whatever, you uh-huh. know, like yeah. then that's pro bono. Yeah. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like that, then that benefits all parties. You showcase right. what you can do. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like you're building, building a portfolio piece no yeah. matter what. And then the film school thing, like we're we're on that side 100%. Mm-hmm. We feel like in today's yeah. day and age, YouTube University, we've heard it called a handful oh, yeah. of times. Anything that yeah. you need to learn, there is a way for you to learn it at a huge mm-hmm. fraction of the cost or free right. compared to film school. And something we're kind of trying to push now is like, you know what, with, with all the resources now, when you're 18, when you're like looking at colleges and you want to be a filmmaker, it's like, you know, in four years, do you want to be six figures in debt? Or in four years, mm-hmm. do you want to be building towards a six-figure video business? And like right. YouTube and the knowledge and the networking resources like Instagram, there's like no reason why mm-hmm. why you need to go to film school when you can learn through all these other avenues. And it, it's cool to see what you're doing at this point too, building your own YouTube channel and giving back in that sense as well and teaching others your craft. So how long have you been running that channel and, and all that? that- is an interesting story because I started that when I was in high school. But I think the first video I posted was 2014. Yeah, it had been 2014 on there. And it was uh, a recap of our high school's football team that season, which we almost won state. Um, But it was a recap from the (laughs) eyes of the student section. Um, And it was just something I shot on GoPro and it was was a fun little edit at the time. I just wanted to put something on the channel. Um, But at this point, I just started making the tutorials specifically around color grading that started in November. Yeah, so that's pretty recent. Yeah. yeah, it's awesome, though. They're really good mm-hmm. videos. On Thank those. you. Yeah, and that was another thing. I wanted to be sure that I was, anytime I teach, I want to cover one, a macro level and a micro level, but I also want to be sure that whenever I am speaking on any topic, it's something I know from personal experience, mm-hmm. and yeah. I'm not going to teach what I don't know. Yeah. So I, I waited a while, long enough for me to feel comfortable giving anybody this advice, because you can disagree with me, but I know it works, because I've done it. So there may be technical reasons you disagree, but I'm not going to say something that I don't stand behind 100%. You know, so for any of our listeners who might be thinking about dabbling in color, like what are some like basic things for people to keep in mind as they're getting getting started in that process? Actually, all filmmakers can benefit from yeah. learning a little bit about the coloring process, <laughs> yeah. you know? So yeah, any of our solopreneur guys, yeah, for mm-hmm. sure. Yeah. Honestly, a lot of the advice I have for any filmmakers looking to you know, build their coloring skills is pretty macro. Like I was talking about, it's 
it's more about the story. It's the 50,000 foot bird's eye view. It's not so much about detail work. It's not so much about learning tools and reading scopes. It's more about the emotion. There's IQ related to, to color grading and then there's EQ. It's much more the emotional part that I would advise people to study. And that comes from, for me, watching films. Uh, I love to study films that have you know excellent color, but most importantly, excellent story. Like for example, Interstellar was an incredible one for me. And Christopher Nolan's just yeah. an incredible director. Um, that's <laughs> a great example. And then The Secret Life of Walter Mitty is another one of my all-time favorites. Nice. Um, it's a beautiful film in every sense of the word. So I, I watch those kind of, Every, every few months just to remind myself of like why I do what I do. But aside from just films, study other forms of art. And then I can't remember where I heard this quote, but somebody said, every day attempt to learn something that you have no business knowing how to do. And so <laughs> for me, my dad is a good example of that because he's 50 something. Yeah, he just turned 50 and he just started learning how to ride BMX. So he's teaching, <laughs> me, how awesome. um, he's teaching me how to do awesome. fakies and, and, and stuff and in, in our in my parents' living room. He's got the, the rock music going way too loud. His mom, my mom's telling him to turn it down. <laughs> so always be learning something, something new. Cause like for example, I'm moving into my house right now. We're we're building our moving into a new house and we're painting everything. And so I'm using that as an opportunity to learn new techniques and you know how to cut into corners of walls and do yeah. trim work and that all just kind of adds fuel to the fire of creativity and you don't notice it but you kind of pick up on weird nuances that for some reason they relate exactly the same way and painting the corner of a wall and then painting an image in, in your color studio whatever it is so yeah just learn skills that that you wouldn't necessarily think of helping yourself when it comes to color grading or whatever your your art form is just learn something new yeah, man. I, I love that. I love that too. So a mindset that I try to keep in mind. So the Buddhists call it Shoshin and it's like learner's mindset. So it's mm -hmm. essentially like being humble enough to always right. allow new things to like mm -hmm. enter your brain. Be so a sponge. I, yeah. So I mean, I could not agree with that mindset more. And I feel like all skills in some capacity are like interwebbed. Like I feel mm -hmm. like sharpening skills in one aspect of your life can only help like uh, music. I think this yeah. is an easy example, low-hanging fruit here, music. So we've found in our time making this podcast, a lot of musicians have found their way into filmmaking. And it's like you would think like, yeah, but they're both art forms. But like if you've studied music, when it comes to putting music in projects, I feel like musicians have an easier time keeping rhythm, like finding ways yeah. to cut to create that emotional aspect. And it's just like two completely different disciplines, but they've come together to create a stronger end product, like two becomes yes. one. And I feel like that happens with any skill set that you can have. And that's another thing. I, I grew up playing guitar and drums as well. So for me, I've, I've worked with a lot of other editors and I've trained a lot of other editors. And I've noticed that they particularly have a hard time cutting up music. And what I mean by that is if you have a four minute song and you need it to you know, kind of crescendo and meet this big moment at a certain time frame, and yeah. then you need it to dissipate, instead of fading in and fading out, I actually go in and find those moments of the song I want to highlight and find ways to cut that four minute song into that 90 second interval oh, yeah. and make those big moments where I want them to. And 99% of the time, nobody's gonna notice that that song was cut up. I even noticed it like in, in national commercials where they, they have to cut it up and I'm like, mm, they could have done better with that. Um, yeah. But yeah, just all those skills kind of run together. Um, and it, it really just, it helps to, especially with music. Yeah, music is a great example. Uh, some of my favorite colorists are painters and musicians. And, mm -hmm. and that's just what they do to, to kind of keep their creative juices flowing. 
outside of the color suite. So do you have a color palette that you like to lean on or favorite colors that in the things that you make? That is tough because so much of that depends on the project, but also I'm always looking for ways to to push complementary colors. Typically that's orange and teal, which you hear a ton of, but it's not, it doesn't always have to be Transformers orange and teal. Sometimes <laughs> yeah. it could be simple, you know, salmon push into the sky and mm-hmm. you, you have a shadow, which is naturally going to be typically more bluer than the rest of whatever is being naturally lit, for example. Um, you can kind of accentuate that or manipulate you know, on your vector scope where you have a lot of blue, kind of shifting that blue towards teal and working with you know, different color schemes, whether it's monochromatic or triadic. The vector scope is a great way for you to see which colors are present in your image. And it's a great uh, way for you to monitor what kind of schemes you're going towards and make sure that it's consistent from shot to shot. So I don't necessarily target that and look for a way to keep something consistent. Really, it's just kind of a feel based on the project at hand. But of course, there are tendencies incorporated with that. So you've been coloring now for a couple years, right? So, you know, it seems like you're you're getting some really fun passion projects now, and mm-hmm. I'm sure some pain projects now. What's on the horizon? What are you looking forward to? That's a great question, because there's a lot of talk right now, specifically in the post-production industry, about what the next few years looks like because COVID threw a wrench in what everybody thought was the norm. So now people that have $100,000 studios are wondering if it's necessary. One of, my, one of my favorite colors mentioned that he said that he heard from somebody, there's nothing wrong with the middle. And and that's that's where I see myself really enjoying it because yeah. you're not dealing with necessarily the top people that may intimidate you or the bottom that is really kind of apathetic about things. There's something I love about the middle because because of the internet, the middle is kind of like cream of the crop. There's a lot of money. There's a lot of passion. There's a lot of creativity and there's not too many heads of the kitchen. Yeah. So you don't have to get things cleared by 85 different people. There's a lot of brands nowadays that can be pretty big brands that are pulling in millions of dollars a year and can allocate 40, 50, 60,000 dollar budgets to projects. And you only need you know a few crumbs of that to, to, be, to be viable. Um, and also with the volume you can pull in as a colorist, you know, I've, let's see, January 3rd, I think I did three advertisements in a, in a single day. So not every day is like that, but you can absolutely rack up on volume and your budgets are most likely going to work out with a lot of client projects if you you pitch yourself and present yourself the right way. So how often do you get to uh, DP yourself these days? You know, it was more often when I wasn't pushing color so heavily, but I like that because now when I do, it's not junk. (laughs) It's it's stuff I really care about because I have the ability to turn down work I'm not interested in shooting. Like I just bought the Red Komodo mostly because I like to, if I go on vacation or something, it's so cool for me to be able to capture something in a quality that is going to last years. Yeah, when you uh, you know, do travel and then capture that kind of high quality footage, do you ever do any like stock stuff? Yeah, and right now, especially since getting the Komodo, because so many people, which I can relate to, literally two years ago, it's just out of the question. You like, you can't really afford that. I just feel incredibly blessed to be where I'm at now, and part of the way I want to give back is putting out footage that I'm capturing for beginners. A beginner colorist um, to work with that oh, footage yeah. and people to see, hey, is this is my computer able to run this? Because a lot of people don't understand just because the files are bigger and there's more data there doesn't mean it's going to be harder for your computer to play it back. Because my computer can't play back um, iPhone HEVC footage, all right, whatever they call it, at full frame. But Red Code Raw, yeah, I can throw 25 nodes on there and it plays back full frame. Full that speed, is no so yeah, there's, there's, that's partly the way I want to give back is, is 
giving that footage to other people. And I've only got like a few clips up right now, but I'm going to be keeping that updated on my YouTube channel, most as well as Instagram for anybody that wants to use that footage to experiment with it, to see how their computer handles it, to see how they want to color it. In most cases, unless something happens and I get it on some kind of stock footage site right now, that's entirely free to use. Once you download it, it's yours. And if you, can, if you want to put it in your reel, you can do that. If you want to use it for an advertisement, you can do that. There's no rights associated with it. That's super cool. I love yeah. that. And, and super generous. Anytime I have free time, I want to kind of dedicate that to the people that have helped me get to where I am now. Man, I mean, that that's so important, right? Like, get right. back to the community that help uplift you. You know, YouTube, yeah. like, like I said, just in the last five years, let alone 10, how much it's made such a powerful educational mm -hmm. space. Like, I don't even know if anyone thought that would have happened 15 years no. ago. Like, I remember <laughs> uploading my first video to YouTube. It's like throwing yeah. a phone against the wall. Like, you know what I mean? Just like yeah. boring stuff. Like, and now it's replacing colleges for the ways that you can learn valuable <laughs> skill sets in a wider range of, of mediums. I mean, yeah, to that and space. it's a careful balance of one understanding how YouTube works for growth purposes, but also creating what's true to you. And I think a lot of the conversation these days, and actually Sam Newton was just talking about this on a story, I think yesterday, how it's too many creators aren't even creators right now. They're just mimickers because of mm. what, what they can do to blow up. They know if they copy this kind of content, you know, this explodes. And I, I see bigger pages and companies that are creating these products reshare these things. They're like, oh, look how creative this is. And it's like a camera on a stick and it pretends to be a leaf and it falls. And they're like, wow, I'm like, is that really what you want? Uh, showcasing your your product, like just one, one little shot of uh, a camera falling to the ground. Like, I, I feel like the creative boundaries and what we consider creative it's kind of changed in the past few years and I don't mean to get all cynical, but I just want to encourage people to throw all that, whatever's going to blow you up, throw that aside and don't, don't pay attention to the algorithm. Don't pay attention to what's going to get you big on Instagram because Instagram may be gone in two years. Create what is true to you, create art, tell your story or any story for that matter. Just do it in a way that you feel authentic about. That's way more important. And it's going to be much more long-term than writing some wave of a trend. Authenticity. And you know what? And my two cents on top of that is the algorithm changes constantly. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So what a terrible way for you to sell yourself out yeah. And then the algorithm changes and then you got to resell yourself out again rather than just staying consistently you. Yeah. I got one for you. So you've got your hand in a lot of different areas, right? From coloring right. to being on Instagram and networking and having your own YouTube channel. Do you have any uh, tips for time management? Because well, I think a lot of filmmakers like starting out, they have 10 ideas that they want to do, you know, and you yeah. got to try, try a handful to find well, your niche, but... I have my notebook that I keep on hand at pretty much all times, especially at my desk. And I write down, like, I'm the, I think I'm pretty ADD. I've never been treated for it, but I'm, I'm, I'm distracted all the time. And at the same time, I need some kind of distraction so that I can tune it out to focus on what I'm doing at the time. So one of my biggest tips is just write down every idea you have. You don't have to come back to it, but just write it down. And, and also checklists. I'm a big proponent of, of checklists. If I have a list of tasks, I want to write them all out, put a little box next to it. And one, there's something satisfying about checking off something on your list. You just, it's done. But also, I think a lot of times whenever we're, we have these big goals and aspirations, we write down the big picture stuff, like make $12,000 this month. Well, for example, instead of writing $12,000 this month, do like $4,000 a week, and then, I don't know, seven dollars $600 a day, whatever that adds up to be. 
um, but just break down everything into chunks. So if it's creating your, your new 2021 reel, maybe instead of just writing down 2021 reel, write down, locate all your favorite footage, pick a song, get right to that song. You know, there's, there's a billion yeah. different steps to that, but just kind of breaking everything down because it helps you check things off and make more progress. So that's one thing. And then also uh, a lot of my friends do the PEMDAS method where you work hard for 25 minutes and then take whatever amount of time off um, just to kind of keep your brain focused for a set amount of time. I think that works for a lot of people, not so much for me because I last night I sat down to start working on my reel this year and I finished it at 2 a.m. rather than do it in a few chunks. So once I get started, I just have to go until I'm done Why? or until I'm, I'm like just worn out uh, or unless something else comes up. So that's my best advice is, is uh, break everything down into chunks and make it achievable goals, attainable goals. Yeah, for sure. For sure. You- Wow, once again, you're just like going right down our like cornerstone <laughs> things. Uh, yeah. We we call it our super objective, you know, in this case, making $12,000 mm-hmm. this month. But then, yeah, you break it down into, we call it milestones. Right. So it would be like that 3000 a week or whatever. And then, then you break it down even one step further to actionable tasks. So mm-hmm. it's like, what steps do I need to do to hit this milestone to head towards this super objective? Right. So yeah, bite-sized chunks. Small wins add up to big wins always. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I mean, but you know, even just looking at your YouTube channel right now, it's like over the last three months, you've released four videos a month. It seems like (laughs) pretty consistent, right? Like, is that planned um, out or you're just like, oh man, I got to get one in. Well, okay. So there's, there's two sides to that. One is that sometimes I just have an idea. I'm like, oh, this would be a perfect video. I got to make it right now. And then I'll just have the free time to actually do that, which is wherever now. December kind of hit me by storm. I guess a bunch of companies were ready to kind of bring down their income for the year through taxes and spend a bunch of money. So I had very, very busy December and beginning of January. But yeah, that just ideas kind of popping into my head, knowing that I can create this. I know exactly what to say and I'll write it out real quick and then make it. But the other side of that is knowing that... If people come to your channel, you have a good video, which I was kind of all prepping for around March is when I expect things to start steadily picking up because I'm going to have hopefully some more time to, to put out more super helpful content at that time. And when people come to the channel, I don't want them to wonder what it's about. I don't want them to see a vacant channel with three videos. So the first 10 to 15 videos I'm putting out, I don't care if they get 40 views. They're not for right now. Therefore, when people come in later to see what kind of content to expect, and there's a big added value when people can go through and binge watch all your stuff. And then the third point to that is instead of trying to critique and perfect one video, create seven videos because that's the seventh video. You're going to be seven times better than working seven times longer on the one video. So I can't like if you go back and look at the first video uploaded in October, the color separation video. If you watch that one, the audio sucks. My process sucks. The way I was speaking to the camera, it sucked. It was all pretty bad. And then I think it's all obviously improved over time. And I'm maybe kind of plateauing now, but then you get to another breakthrough and then the quality improves again. So I think that's the best way to improve your quality. Don't stress about if it's not good enough. Like it's not, it's not going to be good enough. In, in three months, <laughs> you're going to look back and hate it anyways. So why worry about it? So just, just get better by doing it over and over again. Yes. Putting in the reps. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And I love that you said you're like, you're not, you're putting these videos up now, but they're not for now. I've yeah. not heard it said in that way, but that is, that's such a good perspective to have because these things do take time. I don't think mm-hmm. any Instagram channel truly blows up overnight, any YouTube channel, no. any, anything, nothing blows up overnight. And you're right. It's about the body of work. 
It's okay. about the, the, the sum of the parts, the, the grand mm. total. It's the value at the end of the day. So when your 50th right. video comes out and it's like top, solid, amazing masterwork, blah, blah, mm. whatever, you know, like, oh my God, this is amazing. And they go binge watch. By the time they get back to number one, they're going to be so much more forgiving than you oh, yeah. even That's give yourself credit for. Yeah. You know what I mean? Because they're like, I know this guy knows what he's talking about. <laughs> so even though yeah. his audio sucks, he's whatever, his speech right. is something else. I know that what he speaks carries value and wisdom. I will still listen. And that's why it's great to celebrate the fact that your first 10 videos get four views because now nobody's going to see them until much later. That when that 100th video gets 50,000 views and everybody's like, wow, you blew up overnight. Yeah, sure it did. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Overnight success. Yeah, sure. there's no such thing. For sure. There's no such thing. And I even knew I, I set so many of those videos to unlisted because I had like some Lightroom tutorials from three years ago. And I just wanted it to be a, a clean slate for the most part. One, maybe two videos from before November that I left up there. Yeah. I mean, because we're in the process. We're about to be kickstarting our YouTube channel. And, yeah. you know, there's always that like as we're starting something new, it's like, you know, we're, we know we're not going to get a million subscribers overnight. No. You kidding me? You no. know, but but uh, but just like listening and it's actually really refreshing talking with you about it because. Because we know we're like we're in it for the long haul. And I think yeah. that's what it is. It's patience. Mm-hmm. In it for the long haul. It's a long-term service, long-term value, because we know that over time people will see it. And it's just about keeping that patience, building that body of work, and just knowing that we just like what you said, standing by what we teach. Yeah, it's it's also the micro versus macro. It's um, Gary V mentions this a few times. I'm sure you guys have listened to him a billion times, but it's it's working every day like you are the biggest company in the world, but also expecting nothing good to happen for the next 15 years. So it's, you can say that's kind of a negative outlook on things, but honestly, it, it's, it's one of the biggest elements to my perspective that keeps me positive. Because if you aren't expecting an overnight success, you aren't surprised when it doesn't happen. Yeah. You're, you're, you're doing it for the hustle and for the grind. The amount that you actually almost like re-educate yourself whenever you help others, whenever you educate others, is almost enough for it to be its own reward. My dad always said, if you really want to learn something, teach it. And so that's one big thing I do is, is as soon as I learn something, I try to teach it, whether it's through a YouTube video or just through messaging friends. Like, hey, look, I found this new trick. You got to try it. We can go talk about this for hours and hours. <laughs> I love what you're saying. It's all all good stuff. And and you're right. I mean, just like our mission as the video community is to create a community where there is none, right? And just like seeing how that's just grown and evolved since we started two years ago, and knowing that it's not even about the three of us or anyone else that comes in. It's about the greater good of the filmmaking community. And it's so powerful to see people coming together and just bring it back to what you said. It is its own reward. Seeing the growth of the people that you serve, very right. powerful. Great conversation, Jake, but let's bring it back. So what's one piece of advice for anyone in the filmmaking industry, whether they want to be a solopreneur, a colorist, editor, what's a solid piece of advice that's helped carry you through to where you are now Mm. that you want to pass on? Uh, Can I give two things? Oh, hell yeah. You can give 10 if you got them. Okay, because there's there's really like several different areas to hit and one i think is is kind of touching on what we were just talking about kind of just a culmination of the past 20 minutes is do what inspires you create what inspires you and don't worry about whether or not the views are there or if the quality is there or not just create something and do it over and over again and know that you're getting better every time that's the biggest thing that's on the macro level and then another thing um, that i think has helped me and i really didn't discover this or it didn't really hit me until the last several months. And that is when you don't know something about, you know, a certain 
area of, of filmmaking you're pursuing. So if you don't know, if you don't understand how debayering works when light enters the camera, hits the sensor, if you don't understand how a certain tool in DaVinci Resolve works, don't worry about it. Like just work with what you know, use just a few tools, understand the basics. And then over the next, you know, however much amount of time, over that time, you're going to accidentally stumble upon some kind of information that reveals to you how that new tool works. Uh, or you'll accidentally figure out how it works, or you'll come across some information that explains things. And then you look back on it, and I was like, why? Why was I worried about not knowing how everything worked? You don't have to know everything. What really matters is that you understand how to tell stories and how to use the tools you do know how to use. Um, master them, use them as much as you can, figure out the nuances, do plenty of your own research, um, and don't be afraid to invest yourself financially. Some of the biggest ways I've been able to learn and grow is by financially putting up some money on your classes and groups. You know, Mixing Light is an incredible resource. They cover everything. Um, the Cosman, Cosi's Freelance Colorist Masterclass is a great course. Learn filmmaking, uh, learn cinematography, filmmaking, learn music videos from Jacob Owens, the Buff Nerds, all that. Those are three three areas I would really recommend considering putting your money. It's, I'm not really benefiting from from recommending that other than the fact that you guys are going to come back and say, thank you, you were right about that. So You heard it straight from the man himself. Invest in yourself, put in the reps, and make sure you're pursuing what you love. Jake, how can people follow you in your crazy new coloring adventures? Absolutely. You can follow me on Instagram. It's J-V-K-E, so Jake with a V, where the A would be. Uh, and then on, on YouTube, you can find me. It's Jake Purely. You can just search Jake Purely, however you spell it. It should pop up. Um, <laughs> but you can also find it linked from my Instagram. It'll be there as well. And that that is it. Thank you guys so much for having me. This was an awesome conversation, and I hope we do have a part two. Oh, hell yeah. Well, thank you for coming on. All of you listeners out there, stay safe, and we will see you next time. Thank you for listening to this episode of The Ambitious Filmmaker. Have something you want us to talk about? Interested in chatting with like-minded filmmakers? Join the conversation over at our free Facebook group and subscribe to our Instagram. Just search the video community. We'll see you next time. And remember, always be creating.